It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, mateys. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films, one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from Journal.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 39 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. I can't believe we've actually tucked almost 40 episodes under our giant pirate belt buckles. <laughs> It's like time flies when you're having a blast, but it also seemed like we've been waiting for a while to see some skeleton action. I think that's part of what it's been. I can't believe it's taken 40 minutes to actually see the pirates come into the situation. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that when you actually watch the movie, you don't realize that that's how much time has actually passed. But now when you're doing a breakdown minute by minute, you're like, geez, 40 minutes in and and we just basically saw a pirate skeleton. Exactly. That's crazy, right? I mean, in the last minute, like I said, we did get a kind of a piece of the skeleton action. So it's an idea of maybe or a small taste of what's to come, which is actually another 104 episodes just for The Curse of the Black Pearl alone. To come? Yeah. We still have wow. 104 episodes, 143 minutes as the total running time for this movie. So 104 more episodes are going to be here wow. for The Curse of the Black Pearl. So we're basically 27% done with the movie. And that means no sleeping over there, Heather. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to talk about history? I may. No, I'm not. I don't think I have any history today. No history today? Yeah. I how, got, we can, how can we go Tuesday without a history lesson? I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and maybe we'll have to put this on pause. Or maybe we'll just let everybody hang so it could be 30, 40 minutes. <laughs> you guys could just sit there in silence. <laughs> Do that. But don't forget that through March 12th, If you leave us a review on iTunes or for those who are not using that platform, you can use Stitcher.com, you're entered into a drawing for a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute prize package, or Pirates of the Caribbean prize package, if you want to call it that. Check out the details on BlackPearlMinute.com. I know you're not the type to leave reviews. Neither was I until we actually started this show and I realized how important it was to us. And then so I started actually leaving reviews for everybody else too, because I thought, Man, I'm begging for them. I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. And so now I do that and it just helps them. And so I realized, yeah, it helps people. So I might as well do that. So please go ahead and do that. Now that I'm a convert, you guys have my stamp of approval on that. Get out there and leave a review. Maybe you'll win a prize package. Let's make it happen. Well, so I think that's enough said on that. They're probably getting old. They're like, when is this contest going to end? So he just doesn't (laughs) mention it anymore. So let's get going with things. In the previous minute, Captain Jack Sparrow and his eighth annual or thereabouts, Black Pearl Reunion, and like usual, just a few people showed up. In a moving, heartfelt speech, he tells Twig and Keeler that the deepest circle of hell is reserved for betrayers and mutineers. The greatest public speakers are the ones who make you think, and apparently he's right because the now-irritated Keeler grabs Jack by the neck using a moonlit arm that is transformed into a skeleton, complete with tattered sleeves and all. But wait, there's more! An increasingly worried Elizabeth Swan with her pirate crew posse 
or maybe kidnappers to be more precise, <laughs> get an eyeball full of the Black Pearl just before she steps on board. Minute 39 begins with a shot of the captain of the Black Pearl standing on the quarter deck observing his crew members unloading their newly acquired loot. A monkey swings over to perch itself on his shoulder. The minute ends with Elizabeth holding the medallion over the side of the pearl. She grasps the chain as the medallion dangles over the salty water. She tells Captain Barbosa, who's still sporting a monkey on his shoulder, Very well, I'll drop it. So I'm guessing a monkey on your shoulder is better than having a monkey on your back, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it just reminds me of that movie, The Grudge or whatever it was, where yeah. that like ghost was sitting on that guy's back at the end that whole time. Yeah. That's pretty creepo. It is. <laughs> Sometimes it. I feel that way. Ah! I feel that I got, way I got every somebody day. on my back. I've named my grudge Heather, actually. Really? <laughs> You've already had to go there. It's not even... What, five minutes into this and I've already disparaged Heather with some remarks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll apologize for now. That's not much of an I gave apology. a wink, yeah. Well, that's about as much <laughs> as I can muster, actually. <laughs> I'm just actually so excited. I'm the little kid in the candy store with this minute. And there's so much freaking going on. Especially at the introduction to our last main character. At least I think it is. And so I think we all know who I'm talking about here. The monkey. Okay, okay, it's, it's Captain Hector Barbosa, and then the monkey. But really, I think that's pretty much the last of our big main characters that, that we're seeing here. And no, the, not the monkey, Hector Barbosa. Yeah, but where's Gibbs? Gibbs is, is taking a break. He's just hanging out in the Caribbean going, yeah, I'm glad that my, I had this lengthy break, because then he's just hanging out there. He's watching all that going on, so that's nice. How about I let you drive the ship today, and you can tell us where you want to get started. To start with the entrance of Captain Barbosa. This is I actually of... rolled my eyes because I was like, okay, really? That's where we're going? But no, I'm just kidding. Go. <laughs> I always make fun of where you start, so I thought I would do that. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Okay, go. So the Captain Barbosa entrance, I don't know if you noticed, but it was kind of pretty much like Jack's first entrance. They're both standing above everyone else and everything else. He was else. on the crow's nest way up high? On the well, <laughs> no. He was on the poop deck, actually. He like, was pooping. Ah! I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Juvenile potty humor, really? Really? Is that what deck. we sunk to? Okay. I mean, seriously, <laughs> why would you call it a poop deck? The quarter deck call it. Yeah, but I like poop deck better. Okay, go for but it. But why would you call it a poop deck? Why would it ever any... be named poop deck? Now you've given me a history topic to research. So there, <laughs> I hope everybody's happy now. Everybody just said thanks, Heather. Thanks, Heather. <laughs> so anyway, Barbosa's up there standing above everyone else and everything else, just like Jack was in his Yeah, when crow's we first see thing. Jack, yeah, he's sailing on the Jolly Mon, and he's really... He's up at the top of the mast there yeah. by that makeshift tiny crow's nest. So it kind of gives you an idea of, you know, how either they see themselves or everyone else sees them yeah. above everyone else. Yes, yeah, so I think it's stretching beyond just them being both captains. It's actually really going to get into their characters. And I have actually some cool things about their characters that we can bring up in the next minute. Because there's some stuff that it pertains to, say, Captain Barbosa. That maybe we don't quite know yet that we'll find out next minute. So I thought I would uh, hold off on some of that. But I think you're right. And the uh, guy the guy that's standing behind Barbosa when he comes down to talk to Elizabeth. Did you see the guy? He's got a headband on. 
Oh, yeah. He totally reminded me. I mean, he looked like he came out of the 1970s, and he's got his roller skates on, and he's doing his disco going down the street. He's a disco roller skater. With his headband on and his hair all poofy above it. He's just roller skating down the street, doesn't it? I think we might have the title look. to this episode when if we air it, you know, disco roller skating or something like that for sure. But I did see that guy. Yeah, he did have that. Uh, you know, the 70s is a look that transcends time. <laughs> yeah. It really is. And it wasn't like it was a solid color. It was actually striped like you would see in the 70s. It had stripes on it and it was just, and his hair was poofy over the top. I mean, it was a total 70s look for this pirate. <laughs> He must have gotten into Orlando's time machine. That 70s pirate show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just couldn't take my eyes off the 70s guy. Well, those are the small details that people want to hear, you know, <laughs> behind the scenes stuff. Actually, I should probably try and see if I can look him up and see if I can find a name. But there were some oh. pirates that are just kind of more extra. So I don't have names for all of them and I can't really look them all up. But I'll give it a shot and see if Disco Pirate comes Disco up. Disco Pirate. Yeah, I think that's the title of our of this episode for sure. So look for that, guys. I like Barbosa's entrance here too. There's even this veiled reveal I think that we get with him. So Jack, we had him kind of completely out in the open, and sailing was... with all the glorious background colors and the wind and all that. Here, Barbosa's in the dark. So there is some things, and this actually plays into what I'm going to talk about next time. But I just came up with it, so I had to. <laughs> To mention it is that we're seeing we saw Jack in all of this light and glory, and then here we see Barbosa kind of in the shadows. And actually, like I said, it's this veiled reveal. He's on the quarter deck a bit into the distance, he's hidden behind the ship's rigging, and it kind of has to do a pan and move before we actually fully see him up on the deck there. Right. But it's still at a distance. But we do get the monkey that makes his grand Tarzan-like appearance. Kind of swings over to Barbosa and lands on his shoulder. Yeah, that was pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, and you know what? I had some monkey data, if we want to call it that. <laughs> monkey data. And I completely dropped the ball. I forgot to bring it with me in my oh, notes. Seriously? So we'll just have to... What hope. kind of monkey keep, data? I don't know. I'll keep my fingers crossed that the monkey reappears in minute 40, and then I can bring it up again. I got a tiny bit of monkey data, but not much. We'll have to go when we get there. I guess. But more on Hector Barbosa, so so we don't want to lose him and get sidetracked on the monkey right now. Gore Verbinski actually said that he wrote Jeffrey Rush a letter about the role and revealed that he was his third choice for the role of Barbosa because he couldn't get Alec Guinness or Peter Sellers to do it because they had both died, actually. They died right before or they died long before? You know, I don't remember. Peter Sellers long before. Alec Guinness, I don't recall, actually. And as a Star Wars fan, I should really know that. Yeah, that's that's pretty poor form. Who's who is Alex? Oh, ah! <laughs> get the paddles! You know I have problems with the whole actor name <laughs> thing. You know this, so again, like I heard the eye rolls from the audience yesterday. I just heard about ninety percent of the audience <laughs> fall over dead. I am so sorry, and. Auditions will be coming soon for the role of guest host here. Actually, well, okay, know, it's okay. Alec Guinness. Actually, do you even know who Peter Sellers is? You don't, do no. you? He's the Pink Panther. He was the guy. He's Inspector Clouseau on oh, in the okay. Pink Panther. Oh my gosh, old or old, like the old, recent not, movie that came out? The recent one, seriously? Oh, I don't know. The recent one had I don't know the guy. Uh, 
the white-haired guy. I can't even remember his name. She put me on the spot. I'm quizzing her about actors' names, and now I can't even think of that guy's name. He's the Steve Martin. So Steve Martin plays the new in, new version of Inspector Clouseau in the Pink Panther movies. Peter Sellers was the original guy who played it, and in a host of other things that you would definitely not know about. Alec Guinness, on the other hand, I can't even believe I have to say this. Ben Kenobi, old Ben, Obi Wan Kenobi. Do I have to? Do you even know? I got it. Now she gets it. She's like, "Oh, it's Obi Wan." That's it. I like Obi Wan. Well, anyways, you can head on over to Star Wars Minute for that talk, and I suggest Heather you visit StarWarsMinute.com and take a look at some of their episodes and learn who Alec Guinness is. You know what? You, it's it's not that. It's I just don't remember people's names. I know. And the only re- the only reason I get the pirates names here is because I go over them so many times, and that's it. And you're lucky if I remember them a couple days later. Heather's gonna be all bad with names. Oh, and I, you know, what's it's your always, name again? It's always great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when Johnny Knoxville plays Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> Who's and, that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she really doesn't know, actually, folks. She doesn't. It's sad. And we may just call it an episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the... <laughs> to the what actor says Heather actually No know. <laughs> kidding. Yeah, we could have a quiz there. We could see who can stump Heather with... These things, and you can send in questions, and I'll quiz her on the air, and we'll see what happens. But anyways, long story short now, trying to explain all this to Heather, is that Gore Verbinski was looking, he wanted, you know, basically it was a nice gesture to Jeffrey Rush to say, hey, these guys, these these really famous, great actors and stage actors and stuff that he was looking for, Alec Guinness and Peter Sellers, were not available because they were passed away, that he went with Jeffrey Rush. I mean, I can't really see anybody else selling Captain Barbosa but Jeffrey Rush. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, he's just he's just really got that character down. And but you know, I mean, I haven't seen anybody else do it, but sometimes I can try and imagine people doing that. But really, for this for Captain Barbosa, I can't see it happening. Right. Yeah. And although I know Gore was kidding, or at least trying to to butter up Jeffrey Rush by saying that and paying that great compliment, apparently. Maybe Jeffrey Rush was actually his fourth choice, if we want to call it that. Or maybe his second choice, if we get rid of the guys that are no longer with us. But Robert De Niro turned down the role because he felt the film would flop as all pirate films did before. And he regretted this decision later on. And he (laughs) actually voted for The Curse of the Black Pearl for Best Picture at the Academy Awards ballot. Huh. And then he also then turned around and accepted the role of Captain Shakespeare in the movie Stardust out of his regret for turning down Pirates (laughs) of the Caribbean. You know, I can't see him in that role. I, I just can't, can't see him it's, as no. as Barbosa. Jeffrey Rush just plays Barbosa so well. I yeah. just can't. I would have a hard time seeing De Niro it's in that position. It's his voice and everything because yeah. you can hear their voices and things. And maybe that there's some typecasting that happens with Robert De Niro. But to play that pirate and to have that that voice, I just don't see that it really working that well. Yeah. And maybe that's why there's not a Stardust Minute to say. (laughs) (laughs) Not to say if any of you guys are going to start a Stardust Minute, but yeah, clearly Pirates of the Caribbean is where it's at. Oh, yeah. Since we're talking about Jeffrey Rush and his character of Barbosa, I wanted to point out that he actually created a backstory for Barbosa. Yeah, it's crazy these backstories are happening with this movie. 
I thought it was something that maybe we saw in movies or television shows about actors, but it wasn't something that really ever took place. And now we're seeing this as the second instance in this movie where characters are creating backs or actors are creating backstories for their characters. Yeah. I've definitely been proven wrong on that. He reminds me of like a theater actor. Oh, definitely he is. And I'm wondering if it's something to do with theater acting. Probably. And they create these so they backstories, they get the feelings, and so they're totally in character. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that's just part of a theater acting type thing. Must be. Yeah. So he says that Barbosa was from England's West Country and his mother was Irish. He ran away to sea at age 13 because he came from a background of poverty. He may have had a very earnest desire to be a man of the sea, but then he realized pretty quickly that you could actually get a lot more if you broke a few rules and lied and killed a few people in the process. Become greedy with horrible social pretensions. You don't get to be in Barbosa's position of power by being a fool. That's pretty crazy. So that's the backstory he came up with? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that he came up with this whole idea of a backstory that is that detailed. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was like a whole page long and it wasn't a small page. It was just, it was crazy. This... It's like an essay or something. Oh, yeah, here. pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, because I read some stuff on the Pirates of the Caribbean Wikia, and I think that they transferred a lot of that backstory into the background or his character's background is packed full of information. And we could spend probably two hours or yeah. more going over just this character, which we're not going to do. <laughs> but in his youth, Barbosa was an honest sailor who left to make an easier living as a pirate, as Heather was just talking about. Originally, he was a captain of a schooner called the Cobra. And Barbosa would join Jack Sparrow aboard the Black Pearl as his first mate later on. And so we'll get into some more of the backstory and the history of Barbosa as we see. And we'll kind of drag that out and bring some of those tidbits in throughout the movie as we engage with Barbosa. But since this is really our first introduction to him, I thought I'd just kind of go over some of his clothing and some of that cool aspects of his getup. Because he really does have a unique look to him actually and he actually commented on on his look oh did he yeah so if you have that you can share that after i how about yep. you share that afterwards and then that'll flow right into it so barbosa wore this fine clothing that was befitting of a man of his stature and status and he carried many valuable items about his person his suit consisted of dark brown full breeches a brown double-breasted waistcoat elaborately ornamented by a pattern and a gray coat with black cuffs black liner and thin black brims around the buttonholes fitted with buttons made from the melted-down Inca silver stolen from Spanish ships. Wow. Yeah, it's quite the... Detail? Quite the details of it. <laughs> you know, they gave that to the costume designer. She's like, what the hell? <laughs> and then they're all, oh, no, wait, here's a little bit more. He also wore brown leather swash boots and faded light green bandana. Besides his pirate speak, I think his trademark, and this is just me... I think his trademark really is this big, round, dark hat, which is decorated actually with a blue ostrich feather, supposedly as a show of vanity. Oh, really? So that's what I have on Barbosa's pretty incredible getup, actually, yeah. his pirate outfit. So what did he have to say about his look? Rush actually said he was very delighted with Barbosa's accoutrements, that um, they converted him to a suitable, gnarled, scarred sea dog. A salty dog. <laughs> And Barbosa's costume is almost operatic in its intensity. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I could totally see that. Reminds me because recently we went to see Finding Neverland. Yeah. Not on Broadway, folks. Jeez. We're just <laughs> we're just mere peasants here <laughs> off Broadway in a San Francisco. 
Orpheum Theater. We'll just give you that. Anyways, the character that was kind of this imagined character, whole Finding Neverland thing, so about Captain Hook, and it does remind me of kind of something that you would see on a stage with a dust of realism that comes to it and scraggliness, because it's not quite the artistic stage costume. It really has been worn down and weathered, if you will. Well, he says it's somehow managing to look grimy, dangerous, foul, ugly, and thrilling, but still somehow looking as though we were in a classic pirate story for children. Oh, very cool. So and there you, you go. I totally, guess he, he said yeah. it's way more eloquent oh, yeah, than did. I did. <laughs> I guess I need a backstory. As I mentioned before, if you've listened in previous episodes, I don't need a backstory as an actor because I'm really that good. But now after just listening to the cream of the crop of Jeffrey Rush talking about Barbosa's costume, I'm starting to rethink that. I'll let you know if I really go down that road or not, though. And I think with his, just the way he is, and after reading his backstory for Barbosa. And his costume and just seeing Finding Neverland, I think I'm I just get that feeling of theater with him. Yeah, we, we usually go through a little bit of stuff or kind of the characters say movie roles or stage stuff. And I didn't do that yet because I know we're gonna get into more Jeffrey Rush yeah. stuff and we had a lot of Hector Barbosa stuff here, so I was kind of spreading it out. But yeah, he does do, as far as I remember, some stage stuff and we'll go ahead and bring that to people yeah. in, in a little bit here. Let's move on to Boson. So I get the sense that Pintel is a little uneasy about bringing Elizabeth on board. The bosun, or I should say bosun, because that's his name, or at least his designation, his character name anyways, does make a comment about it. And he says she invoked the right of parlay. But I just feel he's a bit ashamed of actually agreeing with Elizabeth to to go by parlay. Because, you know, they're like the big bad pirates, so to speak. And Pintel and Rigetti just kind of bend to her will. Yeah. But here we see a completely different reaction with Boson. You know, she starts to say, I'm here to negotiate. And then, boom, he just cracks her across the face and yeah. basically says, you're not speaking until you're spoken to or you're asked to speak. We're in charge here. No matter what you think or what you say, shut the hell up. Yeah. And then Elizabeth is actually saved by Barbosa, who does seem to respect the code. And then he stops, you know, basically grabs the bosun's hand is maybe he's going to strike her again yeah he might respect the code for sure but he does have an ulterior motive here going on kind of got the good cop bad cop thing going on here and maybe that's on purpose the writers did that but now the captain who's going to be the one to come down and talk with her and negotiate with her you know he's being all friendly he just stopped her from getting hit again so maybe this is on purpose some kind of cool negotiating tactic <laughs> i mean seriously it works yeah. that is a thing and you see that in movies all the time and so maybe that's happening here maybe He becomes the immediate ally to her just because he stopped her from getting hit. He's calm and collected. Like, what do you have to say? Let's let's talk this out. What do you want? Yeah. And then you see Bosun. He obeys the captain's wishes. But you can see the way he pulls his arm away quickly from the, you know, when he pulls his arm away quickly from the captain, that he is definitely not happy about the captain stepping in. No. He's probably got the same thought about women on board of a ship. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think about that. But yeah. Yeah. He's like, we got to get this woman the hell off of here. Yeah. I mean, we've read in other pirate articles before that you didn't bring women aboard. Right. Even that was actually written in real pirate articles for ships. Yeah. Man, Pentel and Rigetti, man, these guys are just all over the place. <laughs> 
He should have slapped Pentel for this. Yeah. Pentel seemed a little bit nervous. That's what I was saying. Yeah. So I think it's that whole thing that he's like, because he looked like a little ashamed of bringing her on yeah. board. Man, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. Why did I listen to her? And especially with Boson slapping her, he's like feeling the wrath of like, oh, this could be me next. But Boson definitely respects the chain of command, but he's definitely not thrilled that he got put in his place in front of everybody. And, no. and I don't know if anybody can blame him for that. Nobody likes to be put in no. that place. Not much is known about Boson's past, though it is possible that he was a slave before he joined the pirates. At least that's what some of the information I've seen that's what in the I expanded found too. universe that maybe that was the case. But it wasn't uncommon for the time in which many slaves did escape that they would turn to piracy. So that would fit kind of with the narrative of the time period. Boson, it's just so weird saying that, you know. <laughs> you know, Captain is okay. But it's just like calling somebody, hey, private, you know, you're calling. It's just weird. I don't know. I don't know if I can get used to that. Maybe we got to come up with another name. Call for him guy. first mate. <laughs> got to come up with something. <laughs> Boson's not working for me. It's falling in that same category of Weatherby. I can't call Governor Swan Weatherby by his first name. <laughs> like I, I, Weatherby. Can't, I can't do it. This is going into the same category. Anyways, <laughs> Boson is played by Isaac C. Singleton Jr., and he's been busy with acting, including other Disney properties, like being the voice of Thanos in the Marvel Universe. So all you comic book fans or f- fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that is his voice, at least in the cartoons, not necessarily the movies. Oh, okay. So in the TV series and some video games and things. I don't even want to get into trying to explain Thanos to Heather, so we'll just leave it at that. Well, I, I, I've watched the... You've watched them, but you don't know who Thanos is. But I is. don't know the... I haven't watched the cartoons. Thanos is also in the movies, like with Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy and... All these other things. At least that's what he was in the cartoons. So, oh, okay. But we don't want to get into explaining Marvel Cinematic Universe to Heather here. There's probably probably not. For that. We'll be here for all night. Yeah, and like I said, he's been busy with video game voice work too, and some movies of note include he was Booth in Deadpool, and one that rings a bell for us is Inferno by Dante, which is to be released this year. And that's a special note since yesterday we were just talking about Dante's Inferno. And the Nine Circles of Hell. So there's a movie coming up about that. And oh. he is in it. Very cool. So that was definitely a connection worthy of note here on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. When we're talking about Johnny Depp's Nine Circles of Hell and his betrayers and mutineers. Which this guy fits right into. So quite the, the little circle of some kind of inferno there, I guess. <laughs> And then we have Elizabeth Swan, who we were just talking about getting slapped upside the head. We were talking about, too, yesterday, how when she was coming over in the boat that she loses that confidence. Yes. You can see that really happening. But when she steps aboard the Black Pearl, you can actually see that confidence come right back. She steps up to make her demand. It's not like she's sitting there cowering or or saying. She's like, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, the reality is, is I'm here now. It's like the stages of grief kind of thing. So she's gone through that. Now she realizes it's a reality. She's going to be aboard the ship. She steps aboard. It's like, okay, this is the best I got to do. I might as well step up and negotiate and try and make some demands here. And so she does. Right. I mean, the first attempt doesn't go real well, thanks to Boson. <laughs> but at least she holds herself Knocked well. Knocked her down a little. Yeah. She didn't, it's not like she went and cowered then after no. that. I mean, she was going to take a second blow, thanks to Barbosa, who stepped in and prevented that, though. Right. I mean, she's definitely cool under pressure. And I think this yeah. is something that we've seen already with her character quite a bit. And we've talked about that, too. I mean, she's pretty strong because she's on this ship with all these pirates, not knowing what they're going to do to her. And yet she's sitting there going to put out her demands and what she wants. And she's just going to take what comes to her, you know? That, and I mean, it, it would be hard either way, but she's also a firm believer in the pirate code parlay. So she is right. believing that she's still under that protection of parlay. But 
for somebody who's not a pirate and to put all that belief in there, there, there really is a strong personality and cool under pressure yes. going on here. I also find it interesting that she's even able to call their bluff by going to the side of the ship and threatening to drop the medallion, which is actually where this minute ends is when she drops them or is holding the medallion over the, the water there. Right. I think when she does that, she's trying to get an understanding of really like, what do they really want? Do they want me? Do they want the gold? Do they want... Stuff from the town, and then the minute ends. So we never really fully find out. But I think she's really trying to use this as leverage to answer all those questions. Is she still not quite certain exactly what they want? She has an idea, but she's not sure. And this attempting to drop the medallion, or at least pretend to drop the medallion, that threat is calling their bluff to say, hey, this is what's going on. Right. I really like the verbal jujitsu here. And we've talked about that before. And there's this really excellent interplay between Elizabeth and Barbosa. So she comes off with what Barbosa describes as a lot of long words. Difficult yeah. for them to understand as being humble pirates. <laughs> you know, just mere pirates. We can't understand you. But then he turns right around and says, I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. Which means no. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> he, he's messing with her. Yeah. He doesn't like the long words. She's like, okay, he's trying to take her off. Kilter with negotiations. You know, he's humble one minute and then he elevates himself to her level the next minute with some fancy long words, if you want to say that. Maybe he was just trying to prove a point. It's possible. You know, oh, you people think that... You're all high and mighty. Yeah, and you think we're dumb. So I'm going to start that way and then I'm going to turn around and throw these words at you and then tell you that means no. That's a good theory that he is actually showing like, hey... You tried to come in here and cheat me or, or trying to pretend that you're this high-to-do fancy lady who's going to negotiate with these fancy words and I'm not going to understand and I'll just go along with it. But then he turns around and verbal jujitsu's her. Yeah. Gives her the karate chop of words. I just love it when he tells her his whole disinclined to... Acquiesce to... Yeah. Yeah. I just love that. Yeah. I think it's a great moment. And as I said, I wasn't quite sure where he was going with it, but now that we are just... Talking about her bluffing him uh-huh. with the medal or the medallion and everybody else. I'm wondering if this is his way when he calls her bluff first. She's there to negotiate. He's trying to call her bluff to see is she really here to negotiate. This was his way to maybe try and to call that bluff of hers. Yeah. Then she ends up taking that bluff and, and turning around. So it's like they're really playing this chess game, which I guess is simply engaging in negotiations. And yeah, I, I they're like just it. they're just kind of testing each other and feeling out the waters and seeing where he, where they are. You know, exactly. Kind of quickly learning about each other. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do that. And they're definitely getting some insight into each of their personalities and their fears because they're they're also taking nonverbal cues here. Yeah, what's going on? How are they reacting? And Which is what she does, too, because they're trying to act like something is, you know, hey, what are you here for? But when she starts to go over there, okay, then I'm just going to drop this. Man, they flinch like no tomorrow, and then they recover. So, And then we'll see what happens in the next minute. (laughs) But she, boy, she really gets them on that one. She does. The monkey in this minute, during Kira Knightley's commentary, she was talking about the monkey and how they were trying to get it to look forward because they needed it to look forward the whole time <laughs> while her and Barbosa are talking, right? So They didn't want monkey butt yeah. facing the camera, basically what you're saying? So to get this monkey to actually look forward, they were squirting a squirt gun or a squirt bottle, whatever, forward to so the monkey would kind of follow the water, I guess. Uh-huh. And while they were doing this, they kept hitting Jeffrey Rush in the face with the squirt bottle. I hope they weren't using super soakers. <laughs> They're like blasting it right off his shoulder. Well, she putting said, out his eye. 
uh, water pistol. Sure That's what a, she called I'm it. I'm sure it was just like a, a regular spray bottle yeah. kind of thing. But she was calling it a water pistol. Or a, but one of those kept... cheap water pistols. That, I mean, obviously, they weren't blasting it with a super soaker. Right. Jeffrey, all of a sudden, one scene, he's perfectly dry. The next minute, it looks like he's been hit by a wave. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to avoid that. So they were trying to keep him facing forward. And she said it took so long to actually do this take because the monkey wouldn't keep facing forward they kept having to play with it and get it to do oh the monkey's like God, this just is like, boring yeah i guess he it, she wanted to stuff the monkey by the time this was done <laughs> the monkey needed to create a backstory for himself like i'm sitting here waiting for bananas to come and fruits and vegetables and all that kind of stuff but he didn't create a backstory and look he got no, distracted no, no. adhd thing yeah. going on the trainer was the only one that re- could really become the monkey's friend they tried to keep all the actors and stuff away because if the monkey thought the actors were their friend he wouldn't do his work <laughs> so like they had to kind of just Tell the actors, just kind of ignore him. and that poor monkey. He's <laughs> exactly. like trying to be friends with everybody and they're all ignoring him. Because you know they're such social creatures. And then you're, ignore him. Don't just ignore him. Don't even give him eye contact. I'm sorry, it but it's to hard to point. ignore a monkey on your shoulder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't mind me. I just got a monkey on my shoulder. Come on. That's funny because Kira also said that he just kept going. And the monkey's doing all bouncing around on his shoulder and everything. So that's my little tidbits that's on your the behind, behind the, the scenes stuff. Yeah, I didn't really have much behind the scenes stuff. I do have some stuff from the writers coming up, but I actually wanted to start with some lighting. I saw some two really cool lighting effects here, or maybe it's one actually. So I've talked about lighting before, and just recently we were talking about some of the lighting as well. And this is definitely one of those minutes where the great kind of flyby effect is how I want to call it. I mean, it's, you'd almost miss it if you're not paying attention. It actually happens twice during the 60-second span. And I should also note that it's paired with sound. So it's a nice kind of sound and lighting effect. So it's pretty cool. Oh, I guess I should tell you guys what it is. The first is when Elizabeth tells Barbosa that she wants them to leave and never come back to Port Royal. And as soon as she finishes delivering that line, the Black Pearl fires a cannon, which gives her a quick highlight, kind of nice bright glow. Uh And the blast of the cannon then accentuates her demand. It's like timed perfectly and draws attention to her demand. It's like... I want you to leave and never come back. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it works really well. And the second time this happens, so it's the same effect that they've done and and used it really, really well, happens exactly the same way. But this time it's when she goes to the side of the ship and when she says, I'll drop the medallion, the cannon fire and the light from the blast make that medallion really just shimmer. Right. And we happened upon that just as we were ending the minute. it. It was... Really just pretty cool looking. And it only happens just for a split flash. Yeah. Plus, again, you get to see the dramatic boom at the end of her line. And I think it's like this metaphorical exclamation point that's happening. Mm. It's a really cool effect that they did. I could just see the lighting and the camera guy and sound guy. They were all just so tickled with themselves how they set that up. (laughs) They did a great job there. The last behind-the-scenes stuff I want to talk about is from Terry and Ted, and they're the screenwriters of the film. And they're really big fans of Sergio Leone Westerns, and those are the spaghetti Westerns, or the spaghetti Western genre. Do you know what that is? Yeah. I don't know if anybody believes you out there because of the debacle that we had earlier with actors. But for those of you, so I added this, not for you guys out there, So, but I'm <laughs> pretending it's for you, but really it's for Heather. 
For those of you not familiar with Spaghetti Westerns, they are films that emerged in the mid-60s in the wake of Sergio Leone and his filmmaking style, the international box office success, and all that good stuff. And so the term was used by American critics in other countries because most of these Westerns were produced and directed by Italians. So Italian Westerns, if you will. But they had a mix of actors, say, from the United States that were in them, as well as Italian actors and Spanish and stuff like that. So a big person that you'd know that was in these is Clint Eastwood, a lot of his 60s Westerns movies. That's what I was going to say, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to come up with his name, I know. We we believe you. (laughs) And I didn't want to say it in case I was wrong. (laughs) Are those the movies with Seth Rogen playing a cowboy? I don't oh. think Seth Rogen ever plays a cowboy, by the way. Well, at least you know who he is. I was testing you <laughs> on the air. The best-known spaghetti westerns were directed by Sergio Leone, as I said, and they were scored by Ennio Morricone. Notably, the three films of the Dollars trilogy, Fistful of Dollars, For a Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I've seen those, by the way. Uh, or at least The Good, Bad, and The Ugly. We'll see about that, yeah. The theme song for Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is pretty much ubiquitous in our culture, I think. I mean, it's it's like the go-to Western music or maybe dueling music, you know, that's out there. Do you know what that one is? <laughs> ah! <Not> dueling banjos. <laughs> that's what she said. Oh, my God. You said the dueling music? Like if you're going to have a gunfight, a duel. Oh. Not, not oh. dueling banjos. These are completely different <laughs> genres. Spaghetti you Westerns said. are not in the Appalachians and stuff. Oh, my God. Walk the plank. Do you guys see what I'm dealing with here? It's insanity. <laughs> it's pure du- insanity. You You're said having dueling a music, and you do that all the not time. Not dueling dee, banjos, dee, dee, but dee, 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 dee. We're, talking dueling, we're talking a Western duel, a gunfight. You challenge somebody to a gunfight. Okay. Wah, wah, wah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, now she gets it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Please help me. This is a call for help out there. <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, man. At any rate, that's a whole new... I'm just thinking now the Appalachia Westerns, you know? (laughs) Dueling banjos and... Oh, my God, guys. You said dueling. I know. I should have said gunfight because I knew that that would throw her off. I didn't really... It's our secret. (laughs) At any rate, Terry and Ted are fans of Sergio Leone because often his films took the standard Western conventions and they added in like this kind of aura of mythology to it. And the idea was that some characters are basically godly, have a myth about them, or maybe as, or maybe seen as more than mere mortals that walk among the people and perhaps meddle in some human affairs. And although I get where they're going with that, my immediate thought was on the Clint Eastwood path. It wasn't really on those spaghetti Westerns, even though Clint Eastwood starred in it. So maybe that's where... They got it from, but for me, it was really more about High Plains Drifter, which was an Eastwood film, but it was influenced and inspired by Leon. And this one definitely has a myth about it, and he's known as the Stranger, and the Stranger is a bit of a supernatural presence to him. And the other one is a favorite of mine, is where Eastwood again plays a mystical character known as the Preacher, and the irony being that the title of the film is a reference to the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and the Rider of the Pale Horse's Death. So you have Death and he's the Preacher. Mm. So there's a supernatural element to both those films. Clint Eastwood was in Spaghetti Western, so I see the connection there. But for me, maybe it was just my favorite movies were not necessarily those particular Spaghetti Westerns. But I see where they were going with that. And Ted and Terry basically took inspiration from these films. And then what they did is they added that mythos to the traditional pirate conventions. And what we end up with is skeletons walking among us in Pirates of the Caribbean. So pretty cool. And The Curse of the Black Pearl. Very cool. That's what we have here. You have anything else? No, that's all I have tonight, actually. Yeah, so we should just end with skeletons walking among us and call it good. Yes.
We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 40 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Don't forget that you could win a Pirates of the Caribbean prize package just for leaving us a review on iTunes. If you don't use iTunes, feel free to leave one for us on Stitcher.com. It's that simple. Just leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing fancy, just two, three, four paragraphs. Your review helps people find the show, they listen, and we continue to do this stuff. Okay, not really two or three, four paragraphs, just a sentence, or less than a sentence would work. A word. (laughs) Exactly. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Thanks for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Have something to say? Then give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. If you like the show, then do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can also contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, twitter.com slash and on soundcloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, where we post additional content, have post-episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.